turned it on. Oh, there it is. All right. Ha, 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 ha. Sometimes I wish I had a microphone in my classroom. <laughs> or like uh, a bullhorn. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think before we get started, let's just pray one more time because you can't ever have too much prayer. So, Father, I just pray that you would use me to speak. Use me like a megaphone. That your word would move and that I would just be an object here not expressing my thoughts or my opinions, but exactly what you want to say. And I also pray that ears would be open to hear what you have to say. Our spirit ears would be open. We thank you for this word that you're about to give to us. I pray that it would just bless people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I want to do a little mental exercise real quick, kind of like I did last time. So I want you to think about somebody that you love and it doesn't have to be like romantic love although that that works too but just think about someone that you love it could be like your significant other but it could also be a brother or sister like a sibling it could be a close friend that you have that you would pretty much tell anything to hang out with all the time um, a parent or grandparent or another close family member like an uncle or an aunt that you're close to so Just take a second to get someone in your mind that you know is like, yeah, they love me and I love them. We're good. Okay. So this is where I'm going to ask some some questions. And they're going to go from easy, wait, easy to difficult. All right. What does their love look like to you? Let's think about that. What are some things they do or they say or uh, actions or gestures where you're like that's how I know that they love me or things that you do back that's like that's how I know that I love them that we have this like connection so what does that look like okay what what do you think your love looks like to them how do you think that they perceive you then So probably those two things are similar. Some things that might come to mind are like, well, I would do anything for them. Like right now, if their car was broken down and they were calling me, I would leave and I would go and I would help them, right? Or um, if they were having a bad day, I would go to them and I would talk to them or I would listen to what they need to say and let them vent and throw all their crud on me, right? And you know that they would do the same for you. But, here's the hard question. Has that person ever failed to love you? Where you were expecting them to do something, and maybe they messed up. Or, um, you really needed them, and they couldn't be there for you. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, okay? And I'm not necessarily talking about, like, a broken connection. Like, I don't care for them at all anymore. I'm talking just like, Even just the smallest mistakes happened, right? So I bring this up because Isaac and I are doing a two-part series together. Last week, Isaac talked about those horizontal relationships that I'm talking about right now. And he talked about the huge importance and the role they play in our lives and how they affect who we are and what we do and how we behave. And um, I don't want to downplay and say, 
oh yeah, those relationships suck. <laughs> like, people screw up, people are bad, don't trust people. Because what he said is 100% true. We need people in our lives that we can connect with and have community with. And we need to be careful about the people that we choose to put into our lives. The people that we pour out for and the people that pour into us. It's important to think about that. Okay? But the point that I do want to make is that failure happens. And I wanted to think about why. why. Why can't these relationships be what we envision them to be in our mind? Or why can't they be the picture that God had for these relationships? And there's a simple answer that Isaac already gave last week. Um, and it's probably no surprise, a little three-letter word that ruins lots of stuff. It's sin. Um, so, it takes lots of different forms. Like, I don't get what I desire from them. You know? Maybe, maybe it's some selfishness in my heart where I needed something from them and I didn't get that. Or I expected them to do this for me and they didn't pick up on that expectation. Or um, they wanted to help me, but they made me wait for it. I didn't get it right when I wanted it. Or, I'm in a bad mood, and I'm souring the whole thing. Or, I'm like, just afraid to share, to take that relationship to the next level. Like, yeah, we're acquaintances, but I don't want to be friends with them. But it can also go the other way, right? Where, man, I want to connect with this person. Why is it that they don't text me as much as I text them? Why is it that... Um, what was, I gotta look at my notes, sorry. <laughs> Why is it that they're acting like a big old turd today? Right? Why is it, uh, uh, why is it that I'm making them wait for me? Or why is it that they expected me to do that? That's not fair. Right? Or why did they want that for me? I can't do that for them. I don't know if you noticed, but it, I just flipped all of those on their head. Why are they acting like a big turd? Maybe they're just in a bad, bad mood, right? Um, why did they expect you to do that? They had a need in their heart, and you didn't know that. Okay, this doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean that they don't love us. We still have that love, but sin lies to us. It likes to take those little things and like blow it way out of proportion, right? that person was in a bad mood and they said something that hurt your heart and then you just think, well, they're just out to hurt me. I don't want them to hurt me again. And that's what sin will tell you. And today, what I want to talk about is the cure <laughs> for that. Because oftentimes we don't realize our part in the horizontal relationship and the times that we make it suck. And I'm not saying that we can prevent that all the time. But a good indication of the way that our horizontal relationships are working is our vertical relationship. So, Isaac lovingly titled this message, this series, I Ship It. <laughs> Talking about me and Jesus. You and Jesus. You know what? You and Jesus, I ship it. It's a good thing. I'm behind it. <laughs> okay. 
So I want to point out, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get it at first. Isaac had to explain it to me. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Definitely. We got to support it. So, the first thing I want to do is sell you on the idea that sin is ruining your relationships. If, in case you weren't already convinced. Isaac talked about this last week. There was relationship in the beginning. And I'm talking about before man even hit the scene, God was in community with himself. To any, anybody but a Christian, that might sound weird. But, you know, we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Word or the Son, Jesus Christ. And they were all hanging out together. You can find this in Genesis you can find this in John, and you can find this in the other Johns, 1 John, okay? Talks about, um, in the beginning God said, let us make stuff. I'm paraphrasing. Us. In John, he talks about the word was with God, right? So there was this community. And then more community was made, right? God made man, and Isaac talked about that. And then made a partner for man. Okay? That community was broken in so many different ways by sin. And I'm not going to give it the whole spiel like Isaac did. But um, he talked about how our community with God was broken. And how his community with Eve was broken. But did you know that God's own little trifecta, trinity, community was broken? Because guess what? In order to fix sin... Jesus had to leave his throne and come down. And do you know what happened when Jesus breathed his last breath? <laughs> Father, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from God. He spent three days in the grave. Some believe, I don't want to get theological, but some believe he was completely apart from God in those three days. That's the toll that sin had on community. So, sin is that wedge. Sin is what keeps us from having a relationship with God, and that seeps into our relationships with other people. So why is this important? Well, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, let me open my Bible. If you have yours, I recommend turning there. Because I'm probably going to come back. First John, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. Ouch. But... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So this is the cure I want to tell you about. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all of the sin that's broken our relationships. 
So we believe in him and we walk in the light as he walks in the light. All right. So maybe you don't believe me, but I want to talk about some of the places that this affects us to keep painting a picture. Um, I'm going to go over three mental issues that we have. And I pick these three because they form a vicious cycle together. But this is by no means like an exhaustive list or all that there is. And the first one I want to talk about is loneliness. Because we sometimes feel like our loneliness can be fixed by other people. We think, oh, if I could just, you know, spend more time with this person, or if I could just get together with my friend, or if I could um, go to a party, or if I could get tons of friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram, I won't be lonely anymore. But even the people that have the biggest followers, the most friends, go to all the best parties, they still feel lonely. Why? Well, it's because their vertical relationship. They have no community with God. True community is what we intend to have. If you share your loneliness with Jesus, he understands your loneliness. Jesus understands your loneliness. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the garden, and his disciples kept falling asleep on him. While they're sleeping, guess who's still up praying? Jesus, by himself. When they finally came and took him, his homies, his 12 disciples, they all fled. Peter was like, oh wait, I should probably like make sure he's okay. And Peter followed at a distance after that. But they all fled and Jesus was alone. And I already talked about how when he was on the cross and he was put to death and he finally died. He was completely alone. So Jesus knows what loneliness is like. You think sitting on your couch watching Netflix by yourself sucks? Imagine being nailed to a cross by yourself. He gets it. So you can talk to him about that. And he understands your loneliness. And he knows. He doesn't belittle your loneliness. He doesn't say... Well, yours is nothing like mine. He says, no, I understand it. I came down from my throne so that I could understand your loneliness. But you know what the world tries to do about loneliness? Well, just put yourself out there. Try to meet some people. Go to whatever group. Go hang out with so-and-so. Text somebody. But then do you know what we're afraid of? The next lie that sin wants us to believe? What if they reject me? What if I put myself out there to cure my loneliness and they turn me away? 
Jesus won't turn you away. And he understands that kind of rejection. Jesus said that anybody can come to the Father if they come through him. Even those people that have tons of followers. My favorite example is like YouTube stars, you know. They always talk about don't read the comment section. I watch Ralph Breaks the Internet. I know how it is. Don't read the comment section. Because no matter how many people accept you, there's going to be people that reject you. No matter how much good you do, people will still reject what you have to say, what you're all about. Again, Jesus knows this rejection. Crucify him. <laughs> yeah, give us Barabbas. Kill that other guy. He's a blasphemer. We don't want him. And Isaiah said it would happen, and Jesus knew what he was in for. He even said, this has to happen for the prophecy to be fulfilled. So again, he says, come to me. I won't reject you. It sucks. I know it does. I've been rejected like that. You don't have to deal with that. Here's the third one. So after you've been rejected, and that feels bad, and sin creeps in, tells you another lie. Something must be wrong with you to get rejected. That person didn't want to hang out with you? Why not? Do you smell bad? Is it your breath? Yeah, it's my breath, usually. Not Emma's, though. She's got icebreakers. <laughs> but that's what sin wants to say. What's wrong with you? It puts shame on you and condemnation. So then, <laughs> I gotta not speed it up too fast. Even when we get praise, or, you know, we have good horizontal relationships and people try to build us up and tell us things, there's a deeper shame that exists on the inside, and I believe it's inside of all of us, but I know it's for me personally, that sometimes doesn't believe the praise of other people. Sometimes, no matter what someone says to me, I'm not buying it, because it's deep inside of me. And, I, and you want to just say, man, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't be saying these things about me. If they knew how I really was, how I really was, yeah. I'm a math teacher, not an English teacher. <laughs> but if they knew the real me, they wouldn't want to give me that praise. There's some shame that's so deep that it's only between us and God. He's the only other being in the whole universe that knows the full extent of what we put ourselves through. And you probably know what I'm going to say. Jesus endured shame as well. He had worse than a criminal's death. He was, I, I just read this recently, and it was on Facebook, so it must be true. <laughs> Not everybody was nailed to the cross by their wrists and their feet like Jesus was. 
that was like reserved for the worst kind of criminals. But not only that, he was ridiculed when he was going up. They blindfolded him and they would spit on him and slap him around. And they would say, prophesy, who's hitting you now? When he was on the cross, they said, call for uh, Elijah. He'll come and save you. Why don't you make your God stop this? Shaming him. You're not really, you're not really a son of God. You're not really a child of God. If you were, all of these other things could be done right now. He knows shame too. And again, he says, bring it to me. We can talk about it. And what, what makes me angry, genuinely, is that shame, when we feel that deep shame, guess what we do? We isolate ourselves from other people. And where does that put us? Right back to loneliness. You get lonely, you're afraid of rejection, and you feel shame, and it just keeps going in this vicious circle. And sometimes people can break us out of those. But when we shame ourselves, when we reject ourselves, when we isolate ourselves, the only being that can come between us and ourselves is God, because he's the one that knows the true us. And other people have their place, and they are awesome. I love all of you guys. But none of you can do for me what God can do. And the same is true for you. I can't do for you what God can do for you. Okay, well, that's a bummer. But guess what? Jesus is real. He did die for us. And he intercedes for us. And he tore down the veil. And he gave us a chance to talk with God and have community with God again. Because he said, you know what, sin? Get out. You have no place in this world. Man is supposed to be in community with God. And that's what I want to see happen. So Jesus came down, took on all of this to the max that we feel, took human form so that he could relate to us and then say to us, you can have what I have with the Father if you just believe in me. He made it narrow, yes, but so simple to have community with God. The very community that we have desired and longed for since the beginning. So that's the good news. So let me tell you how to partake in this, and it's very simple. Think again about the people that you love the most, that we brought up earlier. There's three defining things that I want to point out about your relationship with them that you can use as a reflection of what your relationship with God should be like. And since... Paul talks about it as a husband and wife. I genuinely think that that's the way that it should be. And I know not all of us have experienced that, but we've seen movies, right? Chick flicks, happily ever after, okay? We know what that should look like. We can all envision like the perfect sort of marriage, okay? So indulge my fantasy a little bit because guess what? Jesus wants us to have that fantasy kind of love with him. So, 
Three things I said. The first one I want to talk about is intimacy. The relationship that Jesus wants with you and me is an intimate relationship, which means super duper close, really private, and really personal. And if you were to share the things that you share with Jesus to somebody on the street, would be super uncomfortable. (laughs) But Jesus is more than that. He wants you to share everything with him. And you know what? Even those things that you're uncomfortable sharing with your best friend, you can share with God because he already knows about it. So when I say share everything with him, I mean everything. You talk about your work. What deadlines do you have? How's your boss treating you, right? How are your coworkers? What did your customers do? or in my case, your students, that just takes you off. That if you said to somebody, they would probably take you to court for wanting to, like, strangle their children. (laughs) But you know who I'm talking about, right? Those kind of things that you probably can't tell to other people, you can tell it to God because he listens and he's had those same thoughts. And you know what? He was able to love anyway, and he can help you understand how to do that too. School. Again, deadlines. You got papers you got to turn in, homework that's coming up and due. The peers at school, what they think about you. Who cares? But, you know, it's stuff we deal with. Your teachers, they gave you a hard time. Your professor won't extend uh, your deadline, won't boost your grade, won't round your 37.99 up to an A. That's a joke. Your teachers tell. <laughs> test. Oh, the stress that comes with tests. Man, Uh, so my students are about to start taking the ACT, a little sidetrack. I tell them, the only thing worse than taking a four-hour test, do you know what it is? Watching other people take a four-hour test. (laughs) Okay, anyway. We're not allowed to be on our phones or read a newspaper. We literally have to just look at them. That's all we can do. (laughs) it's terrible (laughs) you have no idea anyway um, I always like school though taking tests (laughs) so I'm weird anyway what else do we go through relationships you know and those horizontal relationships sure but not only that like when the person you confide in the most screws up like we talked about earlier Who are you going to confide in? I mean, you should probably go to them so you can make amends and, you know, make everything right. But in that moment, you don't want to badmouth them to other people because you love them. And you definitely don't feel like talking to them at that moment. But you can talk to God. He is always there. He is always available. He's always ready to listen. He's so good, guys. You can talk to God about what you need. Of course, necessities like food, shelter, and clothing, which usually comes by the means of just hard cash money (laughs) in our society. But you can tell God that you need that stuff. Not that you need to, because he already knows, but you say those things to him anyway, because we trust him. We need reassurance sometimes. We're like, man, I don't know if I can do this by myself. 
You tell God that. And he can give you words of encouragement. Oh man. You can even ask God for supernatural ability. I know. It doesn't make sense. I actually, we heard something on Thursday about, uh, I already forgot his name, but was hanging out with people with the bubonic plague. Emma knows what I'm talking about. Do you remember his name? I don't remember. Something Lake, for sure. And uh, he didn't get the bubonic plague. And people were like, why are you not getting this? And they like literally put some of the gunk on him and it looked at it under a microscope and his skin like killed it. And he was like, it's because God's got me covered. You may think that it's like a fairy tale, but I'm telling you, and I've seen it in my own life, that God can give you supernatural strength, patience, which sometimes is the biggest one we need, joy, supernatural understanding or knowledge. These things are available with God. So ask him for what you need. Tell him what brings you joy. When a prayer gets answered, tell him about it. When, when you do something great in your life, tell God about it. When, when you need some like self-care, when you're like, man, I got an hour to play video games and it just felt great. You tell God about that. Yeah, I love doing that. That was a lot of fun. Or you got a chance to like soak in a bathtub with Epsom salt and candles. You tell God, man, this is awesome. Make him a part of that. I mean, you talk about husband and wife intimacy. Like those are the kinds of things you share. So why wouldn't you share it with God, right? And tell him what you're struggling with. The internal stuff, you know, anxiety, doubt, depression, the ones we talked about, loneliness, shame, rejection. God, I'm feeling this crud. You can talk about physical stuff, pain. Man, I'm just tired. I don't have any energy, right? Parents know what I'm talking about, right, McKenna? <laughs> it's all gone. <laughs> um, if you're sick, right? Stuff that you see going on in the world that scares you. Um, the state of our country, the world, local politics, or just like, um, I don't know, just anything you observe about the world. Stuff that you enjoy too, like March Madness. You could talk about that. Literally everything is on the table to talk to God about. But this relationship between a husband and a wife isn't one way. The wife doesn't just pour everything out on the husband and then say, okay, see you later. I hope not. <laughs> it goes the other way too, right? So God will talk to you about everything, which I find to be really cool because he will tell you how to get through your work and your school and your relationships. And he'll tell you what you really need and how to get the things that you need. And he'll tell you where the little pieces of joy are in your life that maybe you overlooked and didn't see, where you say, oh man, I forgot that I love sunrises, and there's a beautiful sunrise this morning amidst all of my crappy feelings. And he tells you how to overcome these obstacles and the kind of supernatural power that you need 
He can give it to you without even asking for it because you have an intimate relationship. You tell him everything, he's going to start giving you everything. That's just how it works. So intimacy is key. Think about those special people, the kind of intimacy that you have with them. Imagine if you had that with God, what that would look like. Not only is it intimate, think about those relationships. It's constant. It's never-ending. Something happens, and you want to share it right away. You're not like, ah, maybe I'll pray next week, or maybe I'll tell that person next week about it, or maybe when I see them at Christmas, we'll talk. I forgot to silence my phone. Oops. Oh, that's my brother. Ignored. (laughs) I'll call him back later. We're hanging out tomorrow. It's okay. Constant. Um, Lost my train of thought now. All the time. Immediate. Right? So what if your connection with God was constant? What if something happened that made you joyful and you told him right away? What if something scared the crap out of you? Like, I have a test in two days. You tell God right away. Your significant other did something that just burned you up, and you want to, like, yell at them? Talk to God about it right away, constantly, all the time. But not only that, sometimes you just call the people you love just to see what's up. What have you been doing? How's it going? right? The little stuff. I have close friends. When I don't hear from them for like a month, I'm like, are you okay? Is something something wrong? Have you had some sort of trauma recently? Sometimes. (laughs) That's the case. So what would that look like? it was with God? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) Some of the ways that you can connect with God constantly. And um, pastors like to do things, and I'm not against this. They like to say things like, read your Bible every day, right? Worship every day. Whatever it is, make a habit out of it. And I'm all for that. But what I want to say tonight is to encourage you that Making some sort of connection with God doesn't always look the same. You think about how you hang out with your friends. You're not always just sitting around a table and talking to each other. You're not always calling each other or texting each other. It's always different and changing and evolving. And sometimes, you know, you start a D&D campaign because you're a nerd like me. And that's how you connect with your friends, right? Or, I don't know, coffee is a good way to connect. Or over music, right? So, you don't have to connect the same way all the time. Four good ways, real quick. Prayer, worship, fellowship, and scripture. Prayer is a good way to talk to him. Worship is a good way to just hang out in his presence. Fellowship 
with others. Those horizontal relationships are a good way to hear back from God. He'll say, he'll say things through other people. And then scripture, literally the word of God right there. So if you ever need him to talk back to you, do a holy flip. <laughs> it's funny, I put my notes. Um, I had to mention this. And I didn't realize where I had put it. And then when I got up here and I was looking at stuff, I, I had put them right at the beginning of Job. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Job, Job had a pretty crappy life. He suffered with way more than those three things I talked about. <laughs> anyway. Another reason why, why it should be constant. Because... With our friends, we know that life is constantly changing and evolving. It's never staying the same, right? People get new jobs. People move to new places. People meet someone new or they get new hobbies or they start uh, watching a new show on Netflix. It's always changing. So if you have that constant relationship with them, you find out immediately and you can be on board with them and jump in with that. Like, oh man, you just started watching The Office? I love The Office. I'm going to start watching it again too so we can talk about that more, right? The same thing happens with God. If you have that constant connection with him, like on a daily basis, then you get to see what he's doing every day, and you can be a part of it, which, you know, is super exciting. <laughs> okay, third thing. So, our relationship with God, like our super close personal relationship, should be intimate, constant, and the hardest one, I think, is unconditional. Which is often a buzzword that we throw around. And we're like, yeah, God's love is so unconditional. He loves me no matter what, right? But what if that went the other way around? Because I fall into this trap all the time. Where sometimes I start talking to God like he's a vending machine. Like, God, I need this. I need this to happen. God, do this. Make this work. Um... But that's like the opposite of unconditional. Okay? We receive all good and perfect things because we're in a relationship with him. And it's not the other way around, meaning we're not in that relationship to get things from him. So this is more of a heart thing that um, it's not something that you can fix overnight, but you can become aware of. And start making sure that that's not the case. Because you know what? He knows better than we do what we really need. And when we focus on him and his plans for us, then we're going to get everything that we need. But what happens is, when we start thinking about the stuff we need, <laughs> we start thinking about, man, I need, I need my coworkers to really start helping me at work. I need more money in my bank account. I need to meet somebody to fill my needs. We start drifting off and our gaze is like drifting off the wrong direction. And meanwhile, God is doing all this other stuff over here. He's like throwing people into our lives and he's doing little things for us and he's giving us patience and strength and teaching us things. And we don't even notice it because we're looking over here. And so we're not in tune with the things that are already happening in front of us. And so, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but expectation 
expecting things to go the way that we envision with our pinhole camera, right? Literally, your eyes are like two little pinhole cameras. <laughs> and you see the whole world through that. And your other four senses. Rather than trying to get a picture on everything, just trust in God because he sees everything. And he's working all things are good and everybody else's. That's not the right page. There it is. Okay. So. That's all I wanted to say. I just want you guys to understand that when those horizontal relationships fail, it's not always your fault. And it's not the other person's fault, typically. Sin enters in, and it finds those footholds, and it tries to break up those horizontal relationships. And the way you can safeguard yourself is by having a good, intimate, constant, and unconditional vertical connection with God. It seriously is like putting up a barrier and a wall against those lies. Because when that relationship is healthy, it makes your horizontal relationships the same way. When you know how to be intimate with God, it helps you be intimate with other people. When you know how to have constant checkups with God, you know what it looks like to be constantly checking up on the people around you and sharing with them. And when you know, and this is seriously the hardest one, at least for me, when you know how to be unconditionally loving God, then you know how to love other people. Sometimes I think this is the most important. When they fail you, when they screw up, when they make mistakes, when they fall into sin, when they say bad things about you, or when they're just in a bad mood and it rubs you the wrong way, and you can love them anyway, that's going to have the most powerful impact on other people, where they say, wow, that person really loves me because I made a big mistake, and they were just like, whatever, man, I love you. And that's really how God treats us. So, I want to thank you guys. I hope God said something to you tonight that you can take home with you. And my biggest heart with this message was, if you can see how much God loves you, and you can reciprocate that, I hope you'll see how that can affect all your other relationships. And I just hope that those horizontal relationships will blossom because of your vertical relationship. So if we could just pray into that for a minute, and I'll give a little bit of silent time for you to work on your own heart, and then I'll close this out just a few minutes. So God, we just thank you for your word tonight. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come down like a fire and rest on every single person in this room. I pray that your word would burn inside of them and they would see how they can make a more intimate, constant, and unconditional connection with you. And I hope they can see how that will influence them. Move on them right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Pray into that.
here comfortable, I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, make a vow to me tonight. Bow to Jesus and just say, I love you. Just that simple vow. I love you and I choose to love you, Jesus. Church, that blesses his heart. God, we just thank you for this opportunity. Pray you would continue to be with us in fellowship and that we would have an awesome night with one another and that you would work through all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.